0: For joining us on the Steve Schramm Show this morning. Quick reminder before we get started that this podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy. This is our online learning experience where you can go and download courses from us that we teach specifically around subjects in young age creationism. We teach a lot about the science. We teach about the theology and things of that nature. We're still growing, of course. The main uh, uh, academy and we have some courses out there now we're continually adding more courses as time goes on so we should go ahead and check those courses out also check out our creation all-access program that is now available for $34 per month that is $34 per month you can jump into the all-access program and get you access to the Facebook group and also to all the courses we make available all right, so we are excited to come to you this morning with part two of a very, very difficult topic that we started discussing last week. We're dealing with the issue of abortion. We're talking about uh, the pro-life case, really. We are fighting for the unborn. And that's really something about being a Christian is we don't uh, take any selectivity to the life that we claim is valuable. Now of course there are those who you know come in with their own ideologies in the name of Christ, but if we're talking about classical Christianity, if we're talking about values according to the views which Christianity itself Puts forth, that is what the Bible teaches, what Christ taught. If we're talking about that, then we're talking about the notion that all human life is valuable. And what we talked about a little bit last week is that we understand that science has definitively and observably shown that when a fetus, which fetus is just a Latin word meaning baby. It is a baby of whatever the kind of thing that it is. and It is a baby human. So, I mean, there's uh, uh, certainly a common sense element there, but we understand scientifically that from the moment of fertilization, what we are dealing with is simply a very, very small human. In other words, It doesn't change from one thing to another. It merely changes in some of its properties. And what we're going to talk about today, first of all, we are going to go back and just real quick review a little bit about what we talked about last week. We're going to review a little bit of that to give you the right context And then we're going to talk about defending the premises, really, of the pro-life syllogism that we gave you last week. And that defense is going to heavily involve this idea that what we're dealing with is a human being, scientifically speaking, ethically speaking, biblically speaking. In any sense, you can talk about what an unborn baby is. You cannot escape Its humanity. And so, of course, we can just segue right into the review by saying that the pro life syllogism that we gave you last week went as follows It's morally wrong to take the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. Premise two abortion takes the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. Therefore, abortion is morally wrong. And if you'll remember, I added the qualifier morally, even though it wasn't in the original syllogism put out by STR. And I made the comment that they probably left it out initially because they're uh, appealing to intuition. They're uh, appealing to uh, a common sense notion that everybody has, that it's just plain wrong to murder an innocent human being without proper justification. By the way, this is a perfectly legitimate appeal because, you know, I mean, here in any civilized culture, we have laws which reflect this kind of thing in general. It is apparently and now i realize that it is objectively but i'm just speaking on the intuitive notion that most people have as a result uh, of well being a human but certainly going further as a result of the societies that many of us live in it's 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 obvious to us that it is wrong if there is no justification to just take the life of another person all right we realize that that is something that is Morally wrong because it is punishable by, in some states, death. It's called capital punishment. So it's punishable certainly by prison, um, and and other sorts of things, including death in some cases. An eye for an eye. Okay. So what we have to do then is realize that this is an intuition that's available to everybody. Now, I added the qualification to say morally, that it's morally wrong. And what I am appealing to there is the fact that in order to make a claim such as this, really the only person who can make the claim is a person who appeals to an objective standard for the claim. In our case, and this is not a defense of the moral argument, we could uh, certainly talk about that sometime, and I'm sure that we will, but in our case, we have a proper moral justification because morality is the kind of thing that can be grounded in God. All right, so if we assume that from the outset, so I believe that's true and I could argue for it, but let's assume it from the outset and say, okay, we live in a theistic world. If that's the case, then we do have a grounding for morality. It is therefore morally wrong to murder innocent human beings. All right, and then from that, you have a couple questions to ask. What is a human being? What is proper justification and we didn't get into those questions last time, I just gave you kind of a basic overview and gave you that syllogism. So thinking about that question further, I, I want to get into some a defense for the claim of the premises. I want to get into a defense for the claim of the premises and, uh, in other words, why it is that the conclusion is, in fact sound and true and supported by the premises but before i do that i you know it might be helpful to clarify some of the actual terms within the premises themselves and really the, the ones that i have in mind there are innocent human being and proper justification now, this is difficult, and I'm not going to pretend to have all of my thoughts worked out on this, because I don't. So if I speak imprecisely on something, feel free to correct me over in the Facebook group. You can get there by going to steveshram.com slash community. It's free. Just ask to join the community. You can go over there and join in and, and give us your answer okay, to this question. Or, or or, your challenge to my view here. But I want to talk about, real quick, an innocent human being and then proper justification to the best of my current knowledge and ability. So when I think about an innocent human being, this syllogism is not describing theology. Let me say that again. This syllogism is not describing theology. So we realize that as humans, we bear guilt. All right, from a Christian perspective. Now in a sense this is, in a sense this is my 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 defense of this premise to a, a Christian who would say that there is no such thing as an innocent human being. I'm just providing this clarification that we're not talking about a human that is bound by original sin, for example, anything of that nature. I'm not talking about somebody who is morally culpable before God because in that sense, every single person is. There is no such thing as an innocent human being in that sense. So we're not talking about theology. We're not talking about theology. What we're talking about here is innocent according to the moral standards set forth by, ultimately, the society. Ultimately, by the world that we live in. We're talking about a human being who has not broken any kind of laws, And there's a reason why the appeal doesn't go any further than this, all right? Because it is not an appeal to argue for a theistic notion of morality. Now, yes, if somebody presses you on that, I believe you would have to go further and provide some justification or some grounding, to use the philosophical term, for that morality. But... At this point, we're just trying to demonstrate that what we're dealing with is somebody who is innocent according to the law. According to the law. All right. Now, by any reasonable definition, by any reasonable stretch, a human being who is unborn is innocent. I can think of... No case where an unborn human being would be deemed not innocent or guilty, okay, for any reason by any court of law, okay? This person has not violated us. There's no, you know, violation of any kind of golden rule, of, of any kind of law set forth by society, of anything of that nature. Now... Again, I told you I don't have my thoughts all worked out on this, so I'm not going to pretend to. I do think that there's a sense in which this is gray when you think about it too too deeply. I'm going to I'm going to qualify this, all right? And this is why I think that the argument is appeal to intuition. We understand what everybody means generally speaking when we talk about an innocent human being. Okay? but we have to clarify a distinction because we're not saying that it's a, we we can't be saying that it's an innocent human being with respect to a sin nature because everybody is born with a sin nature. But, child, even in the theological sense, the unborn baby, has not even been in the world, is still developing, has not had the ability to commit a act of sin of any kind. So in that sense, we are also dealing with an innocent child, even theologically. Okay, so I'm just trying to be really, really careful and make my distinctions. I think this is obvious on an appeal to intuition, but we're going a little deeper than intuition here trying to understand this. So in what sense is the child innocent? Well, the child is not innocent, I think, in the strictly theological sense that everyone is born a sinner. That everyone is a sinner, who is human in virtue of their human nature. Death passed upon all men. Romans 5.12 uh, 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 Sin and sin and death after the entrance of sin into the world. So I, I just don't think that there's a, a legitimate argument to be made that in a the strict theological sense that the baby is innocent. Okay. Okay, so I'm sure there are plenty who would... Uh, challenge me on that, and if you want to find, go ahead. But but that's my current view and understanding. Okay, so then the next sense is whether they are innocent with respect to having committed any sins against God. From everything I can tell, there is no sense in which a unborn child could commit an act of sin against God. So in that theological sense, the child is innocent. Okay? And then the third sense that I think we could talk about is innocent according to any sort of laws and uh, that are set forth by the society. I don't want that to be the only appeal because then we're dealing with a relativistic morality. Well, some society could create a law in which there was some some sort of I mean, is, is that really out of the question today that there could be some law created that makes the you know, it's you know, in other words, if the if, if the child is shown to have some sort of birth defect that is somehow against the law or something like that, uh, that could be instituted, I think, as some sort of a youth, you know, euthanasia kind of policy. So that's not out of question. I don't want to appeal to that kind of thing because then we're talking about relativistic morality again. So I think the best sense, and again, if you're going to make a moral claim at all, then I think it has to be grounded. There has to be justification for that. And we have that on a theistic worldview. So I do think that for anybody to make a moral claim without being able to back it up with that sort of justification is absurd. But on a worldview in which a moral claim is possible, then absolutely we have a standard to appeal to. And I think the best way to think about this within the respects of the argument is to think about it as an unborn child who has not committed any acts of sin against God and, in addition, has not broken any laws set forth by their society. But again, we realize that societies can at best give us some sort of relativistic morality. We have to have ultimate grounding for that. I do think that the morality of the United States is the most like that set forth, at least the foundation for it, is the most like that set forth in the Bible, which, because of the nature of the worldview it teaches, can have justification and grounding for morality. So I think that the United States in our current context is is probably as close as we're going to get with respect to society with an understanding of the term innocent. So again, that's if we look at the deep philosophical considerations. Past that, we understand that we're dealing with an innocent human being just by intuition. Okay, now without proper justification. When I say proper justification, what I am referring to is, and I've I've actually used the term justification synonymously with grounding here. I used that term talking about morality, but now what I'm talking about is without proper justification, without basically morally sufficient reasons to do so. Now, this isn't grounding, But this is justification morally. For example, are you morally justified in taking the life of an intruder into your home who was merely seconds away from pulling the trigger on the gun that was going to murder your wife and children? Think about that. That's a that's a complex issue. Is one morally justified? Well, again, there are those who are going to, you know, talk about and appeal to violating another's rights, violating another's property, things of that nature. We could get into the law and the politics of that. But but what this argument I think is referring to is, you know, if you are in, in the case of going to war and there are casualties as a result of that war you've got people who are trying to kill you or take out (laughs) even your nation or you have got a scenario where a strike that was intended to kill an innocent or a, a a human being who by all respects, by all accounts, is not innocent and it ends up taking the life of someone who is innocent, that at least may be considered something more like c- the killing of an innocent person with proper justification. Those kinds of things. But there is seemingly no proper justification that is involved. When we're talking about the killing of an innocent, unborn, human baby. Now, in a minute, I'm going to talk about something called medical necessity and demystify that term for you a little bit. So I'm not going to go into that all right now. But I think when this syllogism was developed, part of the reason that the line without proper justification was in there was, of course, to make the distinction that we just made, but also because, well, what happens in the case of the life of the mother? What happens in the case of the life of the mother? And that's where I say when we return to medical necessity, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Okay, so that is kind of the terms that I wanted to, to, to clarify and make clear for you. What is an innocent human being and what does it mean to have proper justification? So I'm going to repeat the syllogism for you again. It's morally wrong to take the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. Abortion takes the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. Therefore, abortion is morally wrong. Okay, now here's the thing. We've already talked about what it means to be able to 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 ground morality based on an objective view of the world. Again, this is not a subjective thing, okay? If if there is any morality, right or wrong, to, to be had here, it's going to have to happen in, in a world in which objective morality exists. We have to admit that. Now, when we say innocent human being, we've talked about that We, we with respect to the term innocent, So I think we all have a fairly general understanding and fairly solid understanding of what it means to be an innocent human being. And then we have the notion of proper justification. We talked about that, and I think that is pretty well common sense as well. Now the final really question about that is that we haven't explored. The only thing that's really left to defend in the argument in order for it to go through is whether what we're dealing with is a human being. That's really all that's left. And this is where I side certainly with those who, 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 who use the term, who say that, that, that pro-life is the pro-science position. Pro-life is the pro-science position. When they say that, what they mean is that it has scientifically been shown and demonstrated and proven, whatever term you want to use there, that an unborn baby is an unborn baby human. It is not something different. And there's a test that we can apply. It's really easy to remember. It's called the SLED test. I also first heard of this from the folks at, at Stand to Reason, S T R. It's called the Sled Test, and we can use it to 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 prove the truth of the premise that what we're dealing with is a human being which would therefore make the argument go through okay so it's called the sled test it is is—I uh, was confused acronym versus acrostic it's one of those okay uh, and basically there are four steps to it we've got the size the level of development the environment And the degree of dependency. Let me run through those uh, quickly. I mean, this is not going to take long. This is how obvious the case is. It's really pretty obvious. I've had to spend a lot of time in the morally, you know, philosophically difficult things. But this part is really, really simple. The actual case... For pro-life is really, really simple. And to deny it is to just simply deny reality. That's all there is to it. Okay? So the size. So so the 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 premise or I guess the the idea behind the sled test is this. The only difference, the only difference between a baby that is inside of the womb and outside of the womb is this the size first of all okay does making does d- does making a child smaller change anything about its properties does making a child smaller any less human is your two-year-old less human in some sense or in any sense than your three-year-old well the answer to that is obviously no it's obviously no. It does not matter what the size of the child is. It's still a child. It's in different stages of development. Yes, there is no distinction to be made between stages of development inside of the womb or outside of the womb, which, of course, is the very next point. What about the level of development? Okay, the size and the level of development is the very next point there is no difference. It does not mean you are more human when you were three than when you were two or when you were 33 than when you were 22 and so on and so forth. There is no difference there at all. You are still a human. The baby, the person, they are still a human. No difference. What about the environment? So there's a question. Am I less human if I'm in Alaska than if i am in north carolina am i less human if i'm inside of a tunnel than if i am outside of the tunnel am i less human if i'm inside of an encapsulated submarine where the only way that i can possibly i'm going somewhere with this have my life sustained is by the thing which encapsulates me and is capable of providing the environment in which i need in order to live in an environment that is otherwise unsuitable for me to live. If I am in that kind of environment, does that make me less human? Well, the obvious answer is no. No, 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 no. You are still a human being. Still a human being. And the final thing, again, this is so simple, is the degree of dependency, When your child switches from breastfeeding to eating solid food, does that make him from something not human into something human? No. Does a person become non-human when they turn 93 years old or in very bad health and are completely dependent on somebody else to take care of them? No. no. It's it's obvious in any of these cases, the size, the level of development, the environment, and the degree of dependency, it is obvious that in all cases, what we are dealing with is a human being. And that's why humanity, according to science, is well, that's just what it is. It is humanity. Science has shown that a human being is a human being. Now, <laughs> This particular episode is not going to go into infanticide. You know, but the reality is that very recently here in the United States of America, senators struck down a bill which indeed would have basically made infanticide illegal, and they struck it down. They struck it down. We have governors, most recently the governor of Virginia, on record, saying that essentially if a a baby is born and has complications and the desire is still for the the baby to be terminated, that that's going to be okay. We have all these things going on. And so... The slippery slope here is, is is very very real. I mean, and once you get to that point, it's almost like the sled test doesn't even matter anymore when and again that's where that's where the uh, the issue does transcend from science into philosophy. From science into philosophy because if it's not actually morally wrong to do any of this, then science can't answer the question. If it's not morally wrong to take, but but you see you see how the it's kind of a reductio ad absurdum though, you see how that this syllogism helps us actually to show that it is wrong to take the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. Premise two can be substituted. It's 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 it, if if premise one goes through, it is true that abortion is the kind of thing that does that, but there are other things that do that too. So that's where the philosophical grounding for the argument is necessary, because once you approve infanticide, once you say infanticide is okay, infanticide takes the life of an innocent human being without proper justification. But what difference, The difference is even is is, is even easier to. Uh, or, how do I want to say this? In other words there's a sense in which when a baby is already out of the womb at least you can see it and you can see it growing right before your eyes in that sense it's even more obvious i guess i should say that what we're dealing with is the same kind of thing there is no difference it's still a human being now that's true when inside of the womb and by the way, I don't think I fully parsed it out. When I say the degree of dependency, we've realized that, yes, the the unborn child is dependent on its mother, of course, but I just wanted to state more clearly that that doesn't make it less of a human. That's where the submarine analogy and illustration was meant to be helpful. Without the sustenance provided by the submarine, the person living inside uh, w- would not be living. They would be dead, okay? So you are dependent on that in that point. In much the same way, it's not a perfect analogy, but in much the same way as an unborn child is dependent on its mother, it is still a separate kind of organism. Okay, it's a separate human being. All right. So the slippery slope is real here, and so the good news is, is that this argument is is able to demonstrate that ab- abortion, infanticide, indeed any killing of An innocent human being is wrong without proper justification. Okay. Real quick before we finish up, I want to go through some important terms with you. And there are lots of terms I think that we could go through here, but I decided to choose just three to really help explain and demystify this. Because these are three very, you know, um of the most common things that come up in these kinds of conversations. So first I want to talk about conception and fertilization, conception and fertilization on the traditional definition of conception. It is very true that a human being is human from the very moment of conception. However, some people have tried to explain that away and not explain it away, but actually define it away to, to redefine the term conception. So, what I have chosen to do along with others is sometimes take that clarification further to the point of fertilization. From the moment the egg is fertilized, what we're dealing with is a human being. In fact, it, it's my understanding, and I'm willing to be corrected here, but it's my understanding that from the moment of fertilization, the the, the human essentially has all of the DNA uh, at, at that point that they are ever going to have. They have the building blocks to make up the life that, that, in other words, that, um, what what I mean to say there is that they have the DNA that's going to determine the uh, properties and the characteristics and the features of their life right then and there. Okay? So, sometimes I think it might be a helpful clarification to say that life begins at fertilization. Life begins at fertilization okay the second thing is fetus we talked about this a little bit already but it's really really simple fetus just simply means a baby it's a human baby as a matter of fact if you google the term you are going to find this even on the first thing (laughs) of Google on, uh, on Google, the Google definition that comes up first thing says, an unborn offspring of a mammal, in particular, an unborn human baby, more than eight weeks after conception. Okay, so it is a level of development. It is a level of development that we refer to, the fetus. Okay, now, yes, it is a different stage from an embryo but it is still a human being it's a it's part of the fetal stage okay so understand that that that's all we're talking about we're talking about an unborn human being it doesn't mean it is a clump of cells it doesn't mean it's a different kind of thing it's just a word that is used to help describe the stage of development that they are in but that doesn't negate the fact that we're dealing with a human baby. And I think most would probably admit this, but there are some who haven't looked deeply into these issues and simply um, re- repeat what they see others say, and they not might not be so sure about that clarification. And then the last term I want to bring before you, and this is an important one, is medical necessity. Medical necessity. I could march a parade of doctors in front of you who will 100% verify that there is no such thing, hear me now, as a medically necessary abortion. Let me help you out one more time. There is no such thing as a medically necessary abortion. In other words, if it's deemed necessary that there is a threat to the mother's life or something of that nature, that it's basically it's either the baby or the mother, then they may have to do an emergency C-section and deliver the baby early, and this might result in the death of the baby. But this is something that at that point is allowed to happen naturally. As a matter of fact, what I understand is that if they when they do a late-term abortion, it takes two to three days because they have to do extra work to dilate the mother and this, that, and the other thing. Okay? There's more involved to it there. So, it can't be something that's done out of some kind of emergency if it takes two to three days. If the baby needs to get out of mama's belly in order to save the baby, or to save the mama, or both, or whatever the case may be, Then, indeed, an emergency C-section is what takes place, and the baby is removed, and whatever follows from that follows. We give the baby at that point the best care that we possibly can, at least that's what we should do, and we attempt as best as we can in that case to save its life, and if we can't save that baby's life, then we tried, but it died of natural causes. Okay, so now that doesn't answer the very difficult moral question of which life is the one to go. Frankly, I, I don't even want to think about having to make that kind of decision. Uh, my wife has indicated to me in a heartbeat that if it's between her or her baby, there's not even a question that her wishes are that the baby is the one who gets to live. And that's the love of a mother right there. I commend her for that. And I commend any woman who would have to even thinking think about making that kind of decision. But that's not even the decision I'm talking about. I'm just talking about whether an abortion proper is something that is ever medically necessary. And we can line up doctors who will tell you No, absolutely not. There is no such thing as that. So don't be forced into thinking that because it's just simply not true. Well, look, this is a tough issue. (laughs) Certainly not talking about uh, anything light this week. But I pray that this has helped you, given you a little bit of clarity about how to make the case for pro-life. Again, really, it's a pretty... Simple case. It's pretty airtight because you can you can get there with good formal logic, and it's uh, the the premises are based on on, on intuition, and uh, it, for the most part. And so I think it's it's an easy case to make, but it's it's not easy in the sense that so many people, well, their moral compass is just off uh, because really what's happening is they're being consistent. They're being consistent. With the worldview that they have. They're being consistent with their humanism and of course with their rejection and denial of God. Now, they are not being consistent with respect to other kinds of views and causes and charities and things of that nature they support, and that's a a whole other issue that um, I'm not going to get uh, into today because I'd like to keep my blood pressure <laughs> at a reasonable level. Uh, but hopefully you understand that the, the SLED test and the pro-life syllogism are two very useful tools that go a long way towards making the case for pro-life. Let's say a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for those organizations who have done the work, who have put together these things to help us understand how to make this case father we thank you uh that you made us in the image of god that you did declare all human life to be valuable and of course you demonstrated that ultimately when you sent your son to become a human to die on a cross for us father it's so good so good that you did that for us and, and we love you for it and we thank you for it and we pray now that you would give us the boldness, the courage, the knowledge, and the wisdom to be able to graciously make the pro-life case in this tough day we live in. Lord, we want to pray for our leaders. We want to pray for those, Lord, who are in the 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 forefront of the policy making and the decision making that goes around these complex moral issues. We want to pray for them. Lord, whether we agree with them or not, we want to pray for them. Pray that you would turn their heart towards you and towards the objective reality, morality, and truth of the situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, well, that is it for this week's episode of the Steve Schramm Show. Thank you again so much for joining us. Hey, don't forget to... Check out creationcourses.com, creationcourses.com. You can go there. We just uploaded a course on creation and predation. We put um, some nice slides with it and things of that nature. Got the slides for download. There's audio downloads. So it's it's 59 bucks. You can go there and get it, creationcourses.com. Go check that out. You can grab it, or you can sign up for the all access program which gives you access to all current and future courses which admittedly is uh, is few right now there's only two courses out there right now but we're continually adding more and beginning to work on the next one starting as early as next week and still in talks with others who are going to be on there uh, creating courses as well and you can access all current and future courses as well as get into the all access community where you can discuss directly with uh with, with me and the other instructors and, and get help along as you take those courses uh and that's all included there for that 30 uh is it 34 or 36 i think it's 36 dollars per month no it might be 34 it's 34 it's 34 dollars per month so you can go check that out and i hope to see you in the all access program and uh, in any event, hope to see you to purchase a couple of those courses over the course of time, because I think they will help you go into a deeper dive uh, on these issues than, than we can go into here on the podcast. All right. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Thank you for listening, for being loyal. And we'll see you next time here on the Steve Shreve Show. Thanks. Bye-bye.